We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Nafik. I think that's how the locals say it. Nor Norfic, Nafik, definitely not Norfuck. And uh, UFC don't give a fuck. Locals do not say Norfolk. It's in Virginia, and the state of this card looks like a uh, like a visit to Virginia. Were they in Virginia for that? Uh, Cody Saftig, obviously, here in studio with me. Weren't they in Virginia? Remember way back, me and you went to the to the bar with Bobby T. And it was Ally Quinta versus Masvidal. Masvidal was on that card. Right. And I feel like that card was like... Chiesa the, versus Mitch Clark. It was early in the morning. Yeah, that was a big upset. <laughs> wow, can't... Yeah. No, 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 that wasn't the upset. That was just Michael Chiesa ragdolled him for two rounds. Gassed yes, out. sorry. Clark worked his way back in it. Um, that, I think that one was in... I could be wrong. I guess I probably shouldn't know off the top of my head. But, yeah, like, the card looks like it's in Virginia. No offense to Virginia. But, like, no, the UFC... No. I don't think it's that. One think... gives zero fucks about the flyweight division. This is a title fight at the beginning. Like, there's been zero buzz all week. And they kind of littered it as, like, they just... Who wants to fight in Virginia on this date? Cool. Sign up here. Show up at the Marriott. And uh, we'll get you in there. Like, that's kind of how this looks. No, it's a UFC Saturday Night Contender Series. Basically, they owe a bunch of people contracts. I mean, they just, they owe them fights. So, essentially, that's what you're getting. I I actually looked at the card quickly. And when you look at just, like, debuting guys alone, so Elon Cruz is making his debut. Spike Carlisle's making his debut. TJ Brown's making his debut. Guys like Brandon Allen are having a second fight in the UFC. Steve Garcia is making his UFC debut. Tyler Phillips is making, his, Phillips UFC is making his UFC debut. Uh, Gabriel Silva is having his second fight in the UFC. Derek Minner is making his UFC debut. Norma Dumont is making his, her UFC debut. Zara, Zara Farron having her second fight. Has in the had UFC about debut. like two minutes inside of the octagon. That right, was right. her debut. Right. So that's like the most debuting fighters you've ever seen on yes. a card, first and foremost. Yeah. The other thing is, is that the entire card. This is take out the main event. I think the main event. Davidson Figueroa is a seven-time UFC veteran, and Joe Bewan's an 18 fight. UFC veteran. Yeah, he's a, the rest of the card combines for 49 UFC fights, which is like the entirety of Diego Sanchez. I'm kidding. But I mean, like a guy like Diego Sanchez versus Jim Miller, like them combined, guys like Clay Guida, like these guys have 30 plus. They have 30 plus fights in the UFC, and this entire fucking card, 11 of the 12 fights, obviously, 
11 of those fights they combined. So there's no UFC, UFC experience. There's very little like up-and-coming prospects to be excited about. It, and, and the card makes so little sense that probably the best fight prospect-wise is 24-year-old Ishmael Nordiev versus 27-year-old Sean Brady. They're both coming off wins. Brady's looked pretty good in his career mm-hmm. as, as, like, as a far. They're both prospects. Yep. And it's the very first f- on this dog shit. Like, oh man. Yeah, oh, man. And it's but like, listen, it's not our job to judge that. It's our job to try to find value and make some money. For sure. Off it. So we gotta do what we gotta do. But but yeah, the UFC clearly does not care. Yeah, they're just rolling this one. They're all focus is, I guess, is on next week's card. It is what it is. Uh, before we get to that, we have winners from last week. A hundred dollars for the um, you know the iTunes rating, all that type of good stuff. His DK handle is psychedelic, S-Y-C-A-D-E-L-L-I-C-666, kind of equal, kind of evil. Um, but you may know him as Bud Sport MMA oh, or Ian okay. Gifford yeah, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, 100 bucks, like he was asking us, how do I, how, I think it was a Spotify um, uh, review. I don't think it's difficult I didn't do. really have the answer for him, but he obviously figured it out. Like, not many people do this, so if you want to get into the $100 DK giveaway... What you got to do is wherever you download your podcast, give the thing a five-star review, say something nice about the show, and you'll be on your way. That's the Pat Mayo Experience uh, podcast feed for that. Uh, and then $20 goes to Above Average 1985 for last week's challenge. This week's challenge, I guess we kind of teed it up already. So give the episode a like, leave your DraftKings handle, and is this the dustiest card in UFC history? And if not... Give me another card. There was the uh, oh, Holahan uh, versus uh, Smolka. Smolka. <laughs> in now, Ireland. in fairness, that, that was, was a late replacement. That right. was a late replacement. In fairness, like when you look through the fi- on, on topology, you look through like the fizzled bouts here. You're like they never really had anything. Uh, really planned for the the fine people of Nafik. <laughs> you want to hear something funny too? I heard a lot of people being like, "Ah, oh, sure, the card's kind of lackluster looking, but hey, it's a killer main event." And when I saw you today, first thing you said, you were like, this this fight, this main event, would be a good fight on any card, yep. right? Be a main card fight on any card. Yep. I like this fight. I mean, they, it would probably be because it's a flyweight <laughs> division, they would probably bury since it on when, another yeah, card, but, but since it, when, it could be on any main card. Since when are the flyweights the savior? People are looking to the flyweights to save the day like crazy. Like, we know this is going to deliver a good fight. And uh, looking forward to jumping into it. Yeah, we got jo- Joseph Benavidez taking on Davison Fig- Figueredo. Minus 150 favorite Benavidez. Davison Figueredo plus 130. I mean, I think you can kind of just look for Joseph Benavidez to utilize the game plan that Yusuf Formiga was able to against Figueredo. Joseph Benavidez has great wrestling. I think uh, after the, that Sergio Pettis loss, I think he's kind of... Yeah, you know, he, he lost injury. that fight, but it was a two-year layoff coming into that. Yeah. And after losing that real close, close fight, he does seem to have, like, gained confidence again in himself. I, I like him to get the dub here. This is a guy who's always been the bridesmaid, never been the bride, never, you know, the never really stood up in the big moments, wasn't able to beat Demetrius Johnson or Dominic Cruz. But otherwise, this guy's always been right at the top of the division, fighting the best guys in the division, beating the top guys in the division, not named those two former champions. Davis and Figueredo, you know, this guy's got the look at least. Like, 
If you like, in terms of who looks like a bigger psychopath, I can assure you it is Davison Figueredo. Uh, the guy's very good striking, but I do get the sense that it's kind of KO or bust. Now, we did see Demetrius Mighty Mus Johnson land a big overhand right in the second fight between him and D- DJ. Like, it's, it's definitely live for Figueredo to do something like that and get a win, but I'm going to have to go with uh, old try tested and true Joseph Benavides in this one a little bit. You. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like the stars just have to align. He was not able to defeat Dominic Cruz, and now he cannot defeat Demetrius Johnson. He has two cracks at him. It's just not going to happen. We always used to make the joke that, like, this is the second greatest flyweight on the planet, and if it wasn't for a man named Demetrius Johnson, we'd be talking about how great Joseph Benavides was. Like, it was, suppo- it was supposed to happen for him. Now, Demetrius, John- uh, Demetrius Johnson finally loses the belt to Henry Cejudo, this is the guy's chance, and he's got a win over Henry Cejudo. And Henry's holding up the division, and he might fight Jose Aldo at 135 pounds. And, like, as much as this is a paper title, and this is not the real champion, in my opinion, it's nice to see Joseph Benavidez, who's always been there, at least get yeah. something. You know, it, it, again, it's a paperweight title, but at least he'll be able to go home and say, paper I'm a world champion. champion, I think, is the after term after you're looking for. Yeah, it's But like- the guy's an anomaly, dude. He's 35 years old, and he's yeah. a flyweight, and yet he keeps going. But the two things he's going to need for this fight are both his wrestling and his cardio. And, like, that's kind of where he where he shines now the formiga fight his last time out he didn't really want to engage it with his wrestling because who really wants to go to the ground with you here formiga so he strikes and where he does get outstruck in spots it's like you see where this guy is extremely well-rounded like he can mm-hmm. kind of do everything and over time he breaks down you here formiga the fight before that against dustin ortiz he goes to his wrestling he scores seven takedowns in that fight this is the kind of spot where yeah figueredo's got a puncher's chance i mean we've seen joseph benavidez get knocked out before at 35, and, and there's no doubt that Davidson Figueredo is probably the heaviest puncher that he's fought in quite some time. Like, the guy does throw hammers. So as long as he can get out of those, say, those first two rounds, you got to assume that the, the grappling will take over. You made a great point with the UCR Formiga game plan of just tie this guy up, take him down. Once you do get him to the ground, like, he was so helpless once he was on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I get UCR Formiga is a special, uh, special guy, but Joseph Benavides is a slick grappler. But you also got to look back to the Jared Brooks fight. It's Brooks's fight for just not doing anything with the takedowns, but yeah. the takedowns come at fucking will. And Brooks is a natural atom weight, by the way. Or not an atom weight, what am I saying? He's a natural uh, straw weight, 115 pounder. Like, if, yeah, when he fights in no Japan. Division. Yeah. Here. So, so with Joseph Benavides, it's like if when he gets those takedowns, he's going to be able to do more with the top control. You got to think that he's just going to be able to grind him out over time. Am I am worried about the first round, first round and a half, the Figueroa throwing bombs? Like it's hard to take down because he's he's a big flyweight. He's strong. He's a very strong guy. He's going to try to brick wall him in that early beginning. Yeah. Yes, but I think Benavides is smart enough to use his striking, use his speed, stay to the outside, yep. chip away at him, use his wrestling to kind of tire this guy out. And then in those later rounds, have to turn it up on him. So looking at minus 150, geez, not a bad price tag at all. Yeah. The, the puncher's chance is what you're looking at. But again, this is MMA. Like, it's a 125-pound division. Yeah, like, like you, yeah, again. Knockouts at 125 pounds just aren't as common. All as right, other and who's, who's knocked him out? The greatest of all time. So outside of that, Figueredo could knock him out. I get that. But mm-hmm. to, to say, to bet on a guy at plus 130 on the basis of that puncher's chance is just not enough. So what are his other paths to victory? He's not going to take down an arrest. He could outstrike him for five rounds. He, like, he, that is possible. Yes, yes, yes. And then the only reason I feel good about the minus 150 on Benavides, if that's the case, is... He just hasn't shown a propensity to go five. He's never gone five rounds, but he doesn't have great cardio, right? So Benavides, Davison, yeah, yes, yes. Benavides has gone five rounds. His cardio seems to check out. His output's great. He always pushes a pace, and I feel like if I'm banking on, like you said, well, maybe he outpoints him for five rounds. Figueroa was like, I have no prior knowledge or information to base that assumption off. Yeah, I just think, yeah, it's definitely in the realm of possibilities that he's just. 
landing the better strikes over the course of five rounds. Benavidez doesn't get enough takedowns. Yeah. And he, and he wins that way. But yeah, I think Benavidez is like the Swiss Army name. Swiss Army knife. He's able to kind of do everything. He's pretty solid at it. And he's got better wrestling than Juicy, Juicy A. Formiga, who was able to employ this type, type of game plan. So I don't see, but I think we're on the same page. We don't really see. Okay, last We're question. not poking too many holes in Benavidez. And at minus 150, I think it's worth a wager on a card that's hard to pick some spots. So, so last question then, right? It is flyweight. And. Figueredo's shown that he's had some durability as well. Like, I mean, he's not getting finished by Formiga despite being underneath him for 15 minutes for the most part. So, Benavides by decision? Sure. Certainly improve that price anyways because, I mean, it is yeah. a five-round fight. Yeah, I don't have the price in front of me on that, but... But, but is that what we're agreeing on? Benavides a decision? Yeah, that's how I would see this fight playing out more okay. often than not. Okay. I mean, Joe page. B, maybe he, maybe he finds a sub, but who knows? Uh, Miss, but, Mr. yeah, Levy. Benavides by decision is probably the, the path that I would say is the most likely. Uh, let's move on down. We got Felisa Spencer taking on Zara Farron. Spencer minus 800 favor. Farron is plus 550. So Farron, her USC debut, took on Megan Anderson, who we'll talk about a little bit later down the card. There is no such thing as a USC featherweight division. So it's just like, <coughs> hey, Zara, you know how you got submitted in the first round by Megan Anderson last time out? Well, now we're gonna take. Now you're gonna take on the girl who submitted Megan Anderson in the first round um, when they took on each other. Like, I mean, it's minus 800, but yeah, like I'm not. I'm not betting Zara fair. It's whether I guess the real spot here is do you. Is Felicia Spencer like round one props? Felicia Spencer yeah, submission props? Like those are probably the avenues that if you're going to look for straight plays that you're playing. But I can't really poke very many holes in Felicia Spencer here. She's done pretty well. Went the distance with with Cyborg. Like Farron just doesn't really have the talent to hold a roster spot. You'd think, but there's no division here. They have no one else for them to fight, so they're just like, yeah, here's here's a layup. Go go get it, Felicia. So yeah, minus eight hundred. Like I don't, I can't poke too many holes in it here. Yeah, well, like I said, this is UFC. We owe you some people contract fights because that's what all they're trying to do is they're trying to fill a void. So now they didn't. They, there's no fighters in the 145 pound division for the most part. There's only that. Nunez for the most. She can go down to 135. She can defend at 135. And, and realistically speaking, she's a 135. And she's so, not coming back up here unless there's like a once contender, a challenger emerges. Unless there's a contender yeah, that's like emerges. that's interesting, the fans sure. actually want to see it. But right now, there's really nothing. No, no. Until someone like Aspen Ladd, who's going to be at 145, or Aspen Ladd, or you know Spencer beats a couple people and moves on, or they truthfully, seemingly would love to do the Megan Anderson fight. It's just Anderson can't, can't quite seem to get there. But all the same, it's like they signed Farron to get Anderson back on track, and they just they need somebody to fill out the division. She loses. Well, now. We owe her another fight. She kind of does a favor, anyways. So who are we going to give her to? Well, well she can't. She can't fight Megan Anderson again. Back on she, track. No, uh, yeah, but I mean, not only are we trying to get Felicia Spencer back on track, but there's, there's quite literally nobody else to fight. Nunez is back down. Cyborg's not in the division anymore. Not you the can't fight anymore. You can't fight Megan Anderson again. Yeah. Uh, Macy Chason is probably going to have to go back up to 45 at some point to fill out the void because she just doesn't look great at 35. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Anyways, what I'm saying is the entire division is in disarray, but we owe this girl a contract, uh, a fight. Felicia Spencer's owed a fight. Felicia Spencer, there's a little more upside to her. At least she's a former title challenger who beat Megan Anderson. Whatever, just throw the fight together. Who cares if people laugh at it? Who, who cares if it's 8-1? to one? Who cares what the case is? Whatever. Now, we should have made mention at the top of the show that because it's such a dusty card, DraftKings hasn't even released any of the pricing 
Uh, not at the at, beginning of our record here, no. Right, right. So we're not even looking at DraftKings pricing. But that's the only thing worth breaking down in this fight is, is Spencer worth just loading up with on DraftKings? He probably gets a first-round finish. Seems like It seems like a locking in, in like any sort of cash format, wouldn't it? Yeah, like yeah. first round submission likelihood here is very, very, very high. Yeah, and if you're betting it, you got to improve that minus eight hundred. You got to think course. exactly that. Spencer is a quick finisher, anyways. Like she's got that quick finish in her Anderson, but when you look at her Invicta fights, I mean, the fight with Pam Sorensen, like she's pretty aggressive with the grappling. She goes right to it, and she'll just go try to chain submissions together and get the finish. Only twenty nine years old, still some room for improvement there. You can see that she's getting a little bit better. The thing with Farron, and this is the dead giveaway here. Is that fair? It's three things, really. In her last fight, now she's taking on, we just mentioned she's taking on a good grappler, loves to finish, can finish early, and it has a significant grappling advantage, has a wrestling advantage, too, and will likely just get this fight to the ground fairly quickly. Farron's 33 years old, okay? So, not a prospect that made it to the UFC. Literally, as we're talking about, warm body, and that warm body not making any improvements between the last time you saw her till now. She was submitted in the first round. That's her big red flag. Because now she's taking on the grappler. Okay, she was submitted by Megan Anderson in the first round. That's the second red flag. You got submitted by a non-grappler in the first round. The third thing is she got caught in the triangle choke, and it's a very basic. When was the last time you seen triangle choke in the UFC? Right? It's it's a move that you see coming a mile yeah, out. Nobody gets. And caught she just them. didn't. She did not see it coming. She got submitted by a non-grappler with a basic move inside of the first round. Yeah. And now she's taking on someone who walked right through Anderson, has got far better credentials, BJJ Black Belt. Went to decision against Cyborg. Yeah, so what are we, what are we worried about? Puncher's chance? It's like she just went five against Cyborg and yeah. took massive shots and still was coming know, That's what so I said. Like, There's, I can't really poke any holes know, in her. I know it's I minus think, 800, but it's just like... Farron's that bad. I, I, think, I think we can move on and, and say that, yeah, you're going to want some DK shares of Spencer, who's going to be at least $9,500, $9,600 on DraftKings. But it seems yep. like as far as uh, cash game anyways, that it seems like a lock. And yeah, far- yeah, there are paths in like a big GPP tournament that yeah. she gets a first round finish, but still doesn't score enough because there's a lot of other combinations that could happen. But yeah, like... In terms of the safety and upside all built built in, Felicia Spencer is the quote-unquote smash play. I don't know how you make a lineup probably without her. Unless maybe maybe they price her up all the way to like 98, 99. They never do that, though. Even with like the craziest odds, we saw Shevchenko with, and they still kept her at like 94, 95. So uh, anyway, let's move on to the most violent fight on the card. Magomed Ankalaev, who has looked amazing for everything except for like what f- four seconds against Paul Craig at the end of round uh, round three there, um, and it takes on my boy U- Ion Kutalaba, the Hulk. Whew. Plus one eighty five Kutalaba minus two twenty five. Ankle, I have what you take here, Cody. Yeah, well, it's not a similar matchup in the main event, but it's very much the same play as, like, you just got to avoid Kudalaba in the early portion of the fight. Now, yeah. he doesn't have five rounds to work with, but Ankalaev is just tire this guy out, get this guy to the ground, and dispatch him. Because, yeah, I mean, he's a shit-eating gr- wild man. He just goes out there, he chucks bombs, he used to paint himself green at the weigh-ins. Uh, he's Moldovan, he's tested positive for steroids before. He's sure. a wild, wild he's man. He's a wild man. He's young Kudalaba. But that's also his problem. Like, he just, he throws so much power into all of his techniques. The guy is a European Sambo champion. He does have a decent ground game. His throws from the clinch are actually pretty decent. And again, a very, very strong guy. All he but seems he to want to do when he gets everything. in there, like, you, when he was coming up through the ranks, you could kind of see some of that wrestling in his game. 
All he wants to do now is just chuck knucks and be a be a shit eating wild man. And like I'm here for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's I mean, gonna be listen, fun. But Ankleiyev does have all the tech, like technical advantages. Seem to all go on Magomed's side here. Well, Magomed's just got to slow the pace down on him because again, he's. I think that I think the first round is going to be dicey in the sense that Ankleiyev is a superior grappler. He's got the better wrestling, but it is going to be hard to take down Ian Kudalaba early because he's so strong. Because he's going to be, you know physically empowering in that first round it's just then after you know once you can start tiring this guy and then you start getting the takedowns he generally just gives it up i mean there's always a worry betting against ian kudalaba but uh, this is a good matchup for ankalaev when ankalaev came to the ufc i think myself i mean definitely myself but a lot of people felt the same way it's like this is a legitimate contender he's 25 years old russian got a good grappling acumen he's you know decent size for the weight class 6'2 kind of rangy decent kicks from the outside He's actually going to be something decent. Comes to the UFC, and he's just walking through Paul Craig. Like, doing what you're supposed to do with Paul Craig outside getting the finish, but just walking through him into that triangle. But since then, I mean, you got to admit, he's actually looked pretty solid. And every time, again, now only 27 years old, he's making these improvements. The Marcin Prochnia fight, Prochnia's no good, but he knocks him out in the first round. Klitsin and Breu, the Russian tear. This guy's made a career out of going to Russia and beating these Russian guys. He just go no problem, you know, handles this guy easy. And then that Dolce fight last time out, I mean, he's playing a very smart game plan, tiring this guy out, taking yeah. him deep. And then once he's got this guy tired, then he starts using his striking, hits him with that front kick, knocks him out. Uh, it's like, man, I, I love what I see out of him. He's making improvements. Kudalaba, I mean, shout out to Middle Easy on this one. They did a profile on this kid when he's like 19 years old. This had had like the next Fedor. And it was just him chucking bombs in Moldova. It's like, holy shit, who's this guy? But since then, again, only 26 years old. But he hasn't really branched off for the most part. And he's still that same guy. You do see he's starting to mature. You do see he's starting to come into his own. But at the same time, they're not giving him any favors by giving him a top prospect yeah, like Ankalaev. So it is a tough fight. And even though Ankalaev has let us down that one time, it was that like fluke submission. I said when was the last time I saw a triangle. dominating the entire, the entire time. Yes. Whereas Kudalaba's path to victory is not this flash submission. It's knocking this guy out. Ankalaev thus far has not really shown us too much of, of that. So, yeah, I, I got to go with Magomed Ankalaya for the decision victory or because I'm not going to straight bet it on the decision. That's what I'm leaning. But uh, because I'm kind of just going to rather take that 225 over. You know what? 225 is not a good price tag, by the way, if we're being honest and breaking that down. I mean, yes, I do have Magomed. it is risky business early. Yeah, because like 195, 200 would be like, okay, he's a two-to-one favorite. I get it. But, yeah, you're dealing with something early. You're dealing with a guy that did shit in your apple pie one time over once before. And, uh, yeah, Kudalaba has the skills. Why we're discrediting him in this certain spot is that we figure that he's going to get tired and Ankalaev's got this skill set to just keep going, keep grinding on him, keep securing those takedowns, and that'll be enough to pull it out. But again, when we're talking about, you know, last card, we actually did really good and avoiding a ton of fights. Me, avoiding not so much. You were, you were bang on. On fire. I didn't, I didn't hit it very much because you disagreed with me on everything and... But did you, I know I know better than to just fade Cody's picks. All right, but Long did you see how did you see how many strategy. how many spots it was like this is probably going to go to decision and it's probably going to be considered a greasy decision and you don't want this big favorite on it and like we were joking about that city kickboxing parlay Kai Kara France by decision uh, Dan Hooker by decision. And uh, their striking coach there. Uh, Brad Riddell. Brad Riddell by decision, right? All three of those guys arguably lost the decision, but they did, you're going to get the decision. So I'm really sorry. Coming off 247. So, yeah, if we go into decision, though, it's just like Ankle Live and Ion Kutalaba. Nobody's from uh, Nafik. 
Yeah, yeah, and one would figure this fight probably doesn't go to decision, but Ankalaev doesn't, he'll take his time, he'll take his time, he'll slowly grind away, and Ian Kudalaba, I mean, gee, he's tough, he's wily, he's still young, he's still got something to give, he's definitely got something to prove, he's got a little confidence because he's coming off the win over Khalil Roundtree, you know what, I just don't like the price tag, I got Ankalaev, I got Ankalaev by decision because I'm going to try to improve that a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I can see him Big boys that, that throw hard, it's dangerous. Uh, let's move on. We've got uh, Megan Anderson taking on Norma Dumont. Megan Anderson minus two twenty favorite. Norma Dumont plus one eighty. I'm trying to look up Norma Dumont, and like I found her Instagram posts and stuff. Um, I know she's from Minas Gerais, Brazil. I found a couple of clips from her at the gym, hitting mitts. I think Caposo uh, posted like a gif of her with like a. A hip toss against like some like O and O fighter. Um, there is not much out there. Uh, what you can really gather is that she's 135 pounder. She's five foot seven, and Megan Anderson is six feet tall. And we kind of already talked about the fate of the women's featherweight division in the uh, in the UFC. There's Megan Anderson. There's Felicia Spencer. There's the champ who doesn't really come up to this division unless it's for Cyborg, who isn't even with the uh, the company. And the division was made for Cyborg, who's not even with the company anymore. So, I mean, it looks it looks like it's probably a setup fight for Anderson, but I'm not going to lie. I don't know enough about Norma Dumont to really be educated into a bet. Like, I, there's not much out there to even see, like, what's out there. Yeah, well, that's that's that's, that's the, the problem. That's the real struggle here. It's just like, I mean, Megan Anderson's probably value. Like, she's going to be considerably bigger than Norma Dumont, but like, I literally can't gather what Norma Dumont's even good at because there's not really enough tape out there. Yeah, I, I to my knowledge, she's a striker, but I would say that this is totally a blind bet. Like, you don't know what you're yeah. getting into. Two twenty seems like a sweet price tag yeah. because at least with Megan Anderson. You kind of got a better idea of what you're going to get in that we know she can't grapple, but they've also given her some pretty tough tasks. Holly Holm, uh, multiple-time world champion, world title ta- uh, challenger, boxing, MMA, whatever. You know, it's a top, t- it's a top fight. Getting a grapple by Holly Holm, that's not a great look. Um, getting submitted by Felicia Spencer in the first round, that's not a good look. But at least these are some of the division's better fighters. With Duma, not only do we not know if she's one of the top fighters in the division, it's that she's coming off a majority decision off a journeyman in her last time out a year ago. Like, there's just not enough. She's five foot seven. How did they find this? She girl? definitely seems like a 135 pounder, and they just need someone to fight. Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson's made a lot of improvements. Unfortunately, because that loss to Felicia Spencer and the loss to Holly Holm, maybe you just haven't really seen it, but you know they're working on her grappling. I mean, she has made improvements there. Her striking, nobody really wants to stand with her. She is actually one of the only legitimate 145 pounders in the division. Everybody else, Felicia Spencer included, can go to 135 pounds. She's the only one. Her and Cyborg, and Cyborg's not here anymore. So she presents that good size. If that's enough to keep this fight standing, then one has to believe she's got the striking acumen to get the job done. 220 seems like a very generous price tag. It's just, it's got a massive red flag on it. It's a blind bet. Yeah. You 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 know Megan Anderson. You don't know Norma Dumont. And even if you go check out Shudo Brazil '68 and you go check out some of her prior fights, there's just such big lapses in time. Four fight veteran, like, pff, seems like the smart decision is is. It feels like a trap. It feels like smart decisions. Megan Anderson, hundred percent, two twenty. That's not a bad price tag. Mm-hmm. But it feels like a trap. It feels like why would you want to blind bet Megan Anderson considering. 
people have tried that before and people are high on Megan Anderson. They like Megan Anderson. You know, she she plays the sex appeal thing online. She goes out there. She wants to stand and bang. You know, she has a TK over Kat Zingano, which is kind of bullshit. You know, I poke with the toe. Like, who knows what's going on here? But, but you know, she's got a fan base. People like Megan Anderson, sure. But I, I, I'm not going to fall into the, the trap of a blind bet on Megan Anderson. Not many of the fan base could probably stand and bang with her, though, because she's pretty tall. Yeah, well, I mean. A lot of, a lot of short dudes in the MMA community. Um, Yeah, I think we're... We said all we could really say about this one. Yeah, let's hit a pass on it. Grant Dawson takes on Derek Minner. Minner coming in on short notice. It was supposed to be Chaz Skelly. That would have been a very interesting fight uh, to see if Grant Dawson can employ his type of strategy and game plan, which is a lot of forward pressure, takedowns, ground control, top position. Um, that would have been interesting against a, a guy with a junior college wrestling pedigree of Chaz Skelly. Unfortunately, Skelly had to pull out. Minner... If you look through his record, 10 losses on his record, and he gets subbed quite a bit. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think it's like six or seven of those losses, all by submission. Um, I feel like it's Grant Dawson, go in, get a takedown. He maybe has to avoid some big strikes early on. Um, I think Minner's just going to come swinging. It's super, super late replacement for him. But Grant Dawson, takedown, secure the takedown. Start looking for a submission. Probably gets it. If not in the first round, sometime in round two. What's your take here? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I wouldn't say set up for Grant Dawson because it wasn't the initial opponent. No. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot to like about Grant Dawson. Since he's come over to the UFC, it's like he's one of these young kids, 26 years old, and uh, he's hungry. He's aggressive. Like, in some ways, not personality-wise, obviously, he uh, reminds me of Alex Hernandez a little bit, like when Hernandez is coming up. It's like he's a strong power grappler you know can go to his grappling but just powers these guys to the ground and just like puts a pace on them i've really been impressed with what i've seen in the ufc mm-hmm. comes in beats adrian diaz beats julian Orosa, whatever it's the last fight with mike trezano like people are giving a lot of respect to trezano in that spot he's probably the superior grappler you know what's grant dawson gonna do but the kid just keeps going man he submits him chokes him out with the second round rear naked choke and i feel like that glory fitness set up with him they're spending a lot of time working on this kid specifically, like developing his skills, and he seems to be bearing the improvements every time you see him out there. And I think it's a good enough spot. Him versus Chas Kelly, like you're saying, it's very interesting in that Chas Kelly's a legitimate black belt. Like, he's a very good grappler, and he's got that junior college wrestling background, so the guy can wrestle, the guy can grapple. Fuck, the guy can do it all, actually, because he can strike as well. Like, he presents different problems. If Grant Dawson decides to stand with him, I mean, yeah, he's probably going to be the aggressor. He's probably going to close the pocket and move forward, but, I mean, like, you can't sleep on Skelly, and who knows what happens if these crazy exchanges happen happen it's Minner jumping in last minute it just completely throws everything like Dawson might just go out there submit it in the first or second round and you're not we're not really going to see where the kid is or yeah, what the improvements he's, he's made like Skelly would have given us a better idea of that I actually like that Minner's coming to the UFC just because here's a 34 fight veteran who's never caught a whiff of he fought in the contender series one time and got submitted in the first round by Herbert Burns but like he's a career regional scene guy that otherwise if he wasn't taking a short notice replacement fight would not be in the UFC, but it's nice to see these guys, 29 years old, again, 34 professional fights. It's nice to see them it's like get Daquan their shot It's like Daquan minus the fentanyl. <laughs> Daquan, my, yeah, and, and, when you, and when you look at his record, it's like he fought on Contender Series, which is a major promotion. He fought on LFA. He fought on Pilot Times. He fought on Victory FC, another Fight Pass show. He fought on Hard Knocks in Canada when he lost to Jesse Harnett. Uh, he fought on the RFA back in the day when they were running. Like, he, he fought on a, a bunch of the promotions... 
that their champions go on to the UFC, that their stars go on the UFC, to the UFC. He can just never win enough fights to stay consistent. Like you mentioned, 10 professional losses, been submitted in six of them. It's like I don't know if that's a fact, but well, that number's not a fact. There's submissions all through that record. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, he was submitted, yeah, he submitted by Herbert Burns, submitted by Jordan Griffin, submitted by Fernando Padilla. That's three. three Jesse counting. Jesse Arnett. Four. Um, Joe, uh, John Duvall. Five. Chad Obermiller. Six. And Dominic Blanco. All right, so seven. So, seven. so I was pretty damn... I was, I was you right, said six or seven. I looked through it, and I was just like, okay. No, I thought I remember being I, I see. I see what happens here. Right, he's got seven seven professional losses by submission. And what's his game? Taking guys down and submitting them. Like, he's a grappler. Unfortunately, he's used to being the hammer over the nail. On the regional scene, it's a mixed bag of what you're going to get. I like Derek Minner, but again, Derek Minner shouldn't be in this position mm-hmm. at this spot. He's not at this level. And not only... I mean, at l- this l- level doesn't mean very much you know when what? you start looking up and down this card. I was just going to I was just going to say it means absolutely nothing considering Alon Cruz and Spike Carlisle and those guys but but you're not fighting one of those guys you're fighting a three fight veteran he's 3 and 0 in the UFC sky looks to be the limit for him people are high on yeah, him yeah no no i like i you like Dawson Dawson versus another Skelly would have been an interesting spot. an interesting spot completely like, yeah yeah and then and then lastly Grant Dawson's 510 and Derek Minner on like a good day's 57 so yes. i think at the weigh-ins you'll see a bigger size discrepancy and that's what'll be ultimately the biggest thing here Minner's not going to Bigger, strong enough to take Dawson down, whereas Dawson will get the takedowns. When he gets the takedowns, he'll soften his kid up, ground and pound him, go for the submission. Again, we don't know what the DraftKings pricing on at 420. He's going to be 9,200 probably, yeah, exactly. 9,100 like, maybe. Yeah. And I would suggest loaning stocks of him, but a genius can tell you that because you know he's he's a big favorite. I mean, Spencer's definitely safer moving up. And if she's only a couple hundred dollars more, I would just, like, buy that safety with the, her. The difference is if Spencer secures a single takedown and then submits this girl who offers zero resistance, yeah. that's what you're getting. Yeah, exactly. Whereas he Derek Min is a 34-fight higher... veteran. Yeah, and maybe. even the Herbert Burns fight, he's going for it. Yeah. Unfortunately, he gets submitted, which generally happens with him. But but you could potentially, out of Dawson, who could Get score two or three takedowns exactly. and a lot of ground and pound and a couple transitions. Because there's a little, less, a little bit more resistance. Resistance. If you get like a later finish from <laughs> Dawson, and he, that's the game on DraftKings that you kind of play, right? How it's, often do you watch your fight and you're you got fighter A and you're saying you're yelling at fighter B like, hold on a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Usually when you have overs, hold finish on a little more. Like four fifty nine. You'll be, you be watching DraftKings, be like, hold hold on a little bit longer. And, mm-hmm. and minner has got a better chance of doing that. He's got a better chance of getting back to his feet. He's got a better chance Absolutely. of giving up a few. Whereas I, I'm not seeing that at Azara Farron, who looks like she'll just lay over. Luis Pena takes on Steve Garcia. Garcia Jr. Garcia Jr. coming in on short notice as well. There's only one book with a line on this, and I don't know the book, but it had it minus 280 Pena, uh, Garcia plus 240. Um, what you take here? I'm, I'm assuming it's a Luis Pena uh, pick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, see, Luis Pena's costing me money, right? So at some point, I'm going to have to realize, like, am I sticking with this guy or not? He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. I've ran him all times out. He was a big favorite of Richie Small and no money to be made there. Sorry, he's 3-2 in the UFC, but the Richie Small fight, there was no money to be made there. Yeah. Loses to Trezano in the split. It's like, I think he had a lot of mental lapses in that fight. But again, he was trying to come down to 145 pounds, and... Clearly, it just it didn't work for him, right? A little too big. Beats mm-hmm. Steven Ocho Peterson. Beats a shell of a shell of Matt Wyman. And then that Matt Frivola fight. This one stung me again, man. 
it's like he's got all the tools. He's massive for the weight class, even at 155 at pounds. Fantastic gym. Trains at the, the best, best gym. Yes. It, literally, his training partners consist of um, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dan Ige and, like, the entire cast of Russians that Khabib has hanging out with them. Like, these guys are all in or around his weight class. He's getting world-class rounds in. He's got the frame. Like, he's, what, 6'1", 6'2", huge for the weight class. He's rangy. His striking, not bad. Switches stances, good kicks, good straight punches. His wrestling, his grappling making big improvements but for whatever reason it just it doesn't click together and it results in these close fights where i'm not gonna lie he is losing these close fights he lost a split to trezano he lost a split to frivola so he's young training with these guys are only beginning going to be getting better and i expect him to be making these improvements and getting better over time but again i can't sit here and say i'm super as high on him as i was because his ring IQ doesn't quite seem seemingly there, and he hasn't quite figured out how to use his his size and his reach to his advantage. But what he does have coming in against here against Steve Garcia is that again, you're probably gonna want to look at the weigh-ins. But Steve Garcia is a 35er, like he's not a big, not a big guy. He's a career Jackson Winklejohn guy, but I mean, he looked washed up. He had signed with Bellator and he lost to Joe Warren. Like that's how where a lot of people remember him back in the day. Then he lost to Elon Cruz who's buried way down on this card, making his debut. And it looked like it was kind of over for him. Beats Abel Cullum, who's over, who's done with. Andrew Whitney, that's Tisha Torres' ex-boyfriend from ATT, over with. Desmond Torres. It, it's the last two fights. He gets the Contender Series contract. Not contract, sorry. The opportunity to fight with the Contender Series. The fight's at 135 pounds. He blows weight and comes in at 139 and a half. So even though he beats Desmond Torres with a first-round TKO and didn't look bad, they didn't award him the contract because they were like, you miss weight by four and a half pounds. Like, not a good look. So then he fights for LFA. They move up to 145 pounds. Once you know it, the guy misses weight. Move him up, 135 to 145. He misses weight, comes in at 147. Oh, the old Rumble Johnson. Right. So he was actually supposed to fight— The Ray Borg. He was actually supposed to fight an LFA 85, which is in two months from now, against Justin Gonzalez. And my boy Justin Gonzalez would have fucked him up. But he's lucked out in that he now gets to take a UFC contract. Being that it's so much earlier, he's not going to be massively prepared. I think he would be a little bit out of shape, which is why he has no problem taking this fight at 155. But you're going to see the size discrepancy when you're in there. And Garcia's got to rely on getting the takedowns going. Without the takedowns and without the size in order to use to be able to peel him to the ground and get him to the ground, I think he's in for a long one. So mm-hmm. it, I'm going to, again, it's 280. I don't like that price tag. That's, that's, a, that's a bus price tag for this guy now. But I think I'm going to give Luis Pena the one more crack anyways. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'm picking him here too. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm going to say Luis Garcia, he's just, he's just too big. He's a better striker. He's a better grappler. He's going to make those improvements. And yeah, the two losses he has are splits. He's going to have, he learns. I mean, and in improves, theory, it's just like if Garcia's going to gonna have to come job. out here and get takedowns and stuff. It's like, in theory, well, what better gym for Luis Pena to be, you know, Fending off takedowns against Islam Makachev and Habib Nurmagomedov and all of those other Russian killers. And, and, so he's in the best spot yeah. to be. And Steve Garcia is a Greg Jackson guy, Jackson Wink, but like that's not what it used to be, man. It really isn't. So I, I was never really high up on him as a prospect to begin with. He's finally made the UFC, and that's all well and good, but I, I just don't see it out of him here. So I think Luis Pena gets the job done. And a 280, fuck, I don't like it, but I, I will give him one more shot. Gabriel Silva, minus 125. Kyler Phillips, plus 105. Uh, Gabriel Silva, I believe Dana Dana and uh, and his boys found Dana White uh, looking for a fight. I believe yeah. they found this guy. He was uh, he was on like the undercard of I think the one where Derek Krantz Derek Krantz was on that episode as well. And I guess they're setting him up here. 
maybe Dana wants to like pat himself on the back, like, hey, we found a we found a guy. Because I don't really understand how Kyler Phillips found his way to the uh, organization here. Um, I feel like maybe it's a trappy, but I f- feel pretty good about Gabriel Silva coming away with the win here. I don't know much about Phillips. Maybe maybe you know more about more about it than I do, but. Looking through this stuff, I wasn't all that impressed. Yeah, you know what? It is a hard pass because we're in the business of breaking down the fights. I'll give you my two cents on it. But I do got Kyler Phillips, actually. Kyler Phillips is 24 years old. He's he's a jiu-jitsu stud. Like, he was a brown belt world champion um, in jiu-jitsu. And, like, that's kind of his game. Like, that's his background. That's his base. Pretty decent as a grappler with the gi on. Comes over to MMA and, like, as an amateur, he was undefeated as an amateur. Turns pro going decently good as a pro and then he fought on LFA yeah that's that Jonathan Kiro's fight wins that he fought on contender series in 2017 against James Gray he beat James Gray in 46 seconds they didn't give him a contract Paul but they gave him a shot on the ultimate fighter they said you know what you can go on the ultimate fighter uh we'll give you a slot on that he's the favorite to win the ultimate fighter and he drops a majority decision to Brad Katona Brad Katona ended up winning the fucking show. Brad Katona right? just got cut after winning that show, and yes. then now they have Kyler Phillips rolling through. Yes, yes. And Kyler just Phillips world. Kyler Phillips is 22 years old, thrown into a reality TV show setting where he's living with 16 other guys or 15 other guys in a house and a bunch of cameras around. He's the number one seated guy, and he loses to Brad Katona, who's the eventual show winner, right? After that, they don't give him a contract. They don't, they don't give him nothing. They cut him. This is very interesting to me. He takes a fight with Victor Henry. Now, a lot of people don't know who Victor Henry is, but he's an absolute stud usually fights in japan he's on an eight fight winning streak right now spent a lot of time uh he's a catch wrestling guy 14 and 4 when he fought him there's no sense in this kid who's 4-0 as an mma fighter just got cut from the ultimate fighter there's no sense for him to take on a savvy veteran like that and you watch the fight it's online it's readily readily available online he wins the first round gets the takedown is able to control him second round not able to get the takedown gives a good account of himself Third round, again, dicey round. He loses a split. But fuck, man, he looked good. Since then, he got one fight on LFA. He beat Amika Afakmakandu. Anyways, again. That five times fast. Yeah, I know. Again, fight's readily available online. And, like, dude, he kills him with a head kick. Like, a nasty head kick. It's like, okay, this kid can grapple. We know he's got the jiu-jitsu. He's been working a lot on his striking. It looks like he's improving. Again, he's only 24 years old. He's, he's, he's growing. He's young. He took a short-notice replacement fight against Ray Bork in the UFC. But he pulled out due to injury. So now he's got that contract. So now he's healthy, comes back. They needed a fight on this card. They offer him Gabriel Silva. I think because Gabriel Silva, who ended up fighting Ray Borg, by the way, was just take, he was taken down six times. Ray Borg landed no strikes on him. He was just easily able to control him with the grappling. Now, Ray Borg is a phenomenal... Yeah, Ray Borg's... Ra- right, right. But Ray Borg, Ray Borg's also a smaller guy, and everyone was saying, how is he going to con- you know, translate that strength and that grappling to 135 pounds? After he beat Gabriel Silva, he tries to drop down back to 125 again. He didn't feel super comfortable in that weight class. Now this guy's taking on a legitimate 135-pounder in Kyler Phillips, who's you know, maybe not a better grappler than, than Ray Borg, but again, he's, he's a world champion in gi jiu-jitsu. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's adequate. He's just got to be able to get the takedowns for two rounds. So this is a hard pass, but it's a dogger pass in my opinion. So I'm just going to say Kyler Phillips is my pick on it. You're, you're clear to stay away. Tom Breeze, minus 135. Brendan Allen, plus 115. I mean, Breeze, Breeze has, like, anxiety attacks before his fights and doesn't and pulls out last second because he doesn't want to fight. Like, it ain't easy I don't know how you I don't know how you can bet on a guy who doesn't even want to go into the, the cage. Like, this... This is the state of affairs that we're dealing with in uh, 2020 uh, UFC uh, 
UFC uh, programming, I guess. Here, really, it's a programming game. Uh, programming and gambling game, really. Um, Brandon Allen, on the other hand, uh, his striking, nothing to write home about. But at least the guy's tough, and his grappling's pretty good. He's, uh, he's looking for submissions. Wrestling isn't great. But, like... I mean, Breeze, we, if you go back, I remember he was a massive favorite against Kaden Nakamura <laughs> when he was first coming in. And, like, that was real, real dicey. If it wasn't in England, he probably doesn't win that No, game. I thought he won, but he's just, he was such a big favorite. He yeah. shouldn't have been close like that. And there, there was, like, lots of grappling transitions. So, like, this guy hasn't fought. And when, when was the last time Breeze fought? Last time he fought was Dan Kelly. Or, yeah, the last time and he physically was fought was Dan Kelly, and it was 2018. It's been a while. And he's pulled out. He pulled May, out against. It's, it's been it's been almost two years. And he's How? yeah. He pulled out against Caesar Ferreira. He pulled, pulled out against Ian Heinish. Yeah, Heinish won the last time. It was because like he was having like it seeming like the What's reports that, is like that he's having like it. there's a history. Yeah, anxiety attacks. So are you going to lay minus one thirty five on a guy who is is so terrified to go out there in the first place? that he has pulled out of fights last second. Like, I don't know how you... You want to know something? I don't know Let's, how you play that. Tom Breeze is yeah, the only yeah, guy who yeah. knows if he's just like, I'm going to be good this time. Fine, I'm over it, but like... I he doesn't even know that until until fight day, until exactly. it's time to go out there. And the, so and like, the problem with that you, is how that... How do you lay money on a guy who doesn't even want to step into the... In, in between, or doesn't even want to step into the cage? You know what? It's, it's dog or pass, n- None of these guys. Here. None of these guys want to step into the cage in the moments prior to going out. Like, if you talk to fighters, sure. they talk about the anxiety and, you know, the, <laughs> throw, the throwing usually up. Usually they follow through. Yeah, they always follow through. But I just mean George St. Pierre and Donald Cerrone, like, these guys are legends. These guys have fought millions. You know what I'm saying? These guys have done it all on the bright lights. And, like, both of them admit to throwing up before every fight. Like, it's just something that happens. Mm-hmm. In his case, though, it's like he probably legitimately has anxiety or some type of panic issue. And... It's causing his body to, like, shut down. Now, here's a very interesting thing that I noticed is that everyone's talking about the fact that, like, yeah, he pulled out of the Heinish fight, and it was ruled, like, the day of, removed due to health concerns, right? If you look into anything of what those health concerns are, it's not readily available. Like you said, the speculation is that he's having these anxiety attacks, but there's also been some speculation that he's got a heart problem, right? But you got to go back before that. He pulls out of a fight on UFC Fight Night 107, right? It's Jan- March 2017 okay. against Oluwale Bangbase. The Bangbase. He's, Breeze is not medically cleared. Now, there's an article from 2017 that lists he's in the back and his heart rate, just what for whatever reason, it just starts going. It starts going. It starts going. And he alerts the medical staff that he doesn't feel comfortable competing because of the heart rate. Mm-hmm. But the heart rate is his mind freaking out is causing his heart to go and then his mind's like fuck it we can't fight so he doesn't fight but he came back from that and he beat dan kelly and that stands as his last fight because after that he pulls out of the caesar ferreira fight and it was due to an actual legitimate injury and then the ian heinish fight is his anxiety thing again so if you, when you look at his topology he's grappled twice he fought lee chadwick and andy clamp in the uk um last year submitted both of them and maybe that's like their way of trying to get him back and ease him back into competition but the main thing is here is that you don't know what you're getting mm-hmm. you, you do not know what you're getting he hasn't fought in just about two years he's got anxiety issues 
him at his best was still not looking great against guys like Kaden Nakamura, who he was a six to one favorite over. There's a lot of there's a lot of big issues here. Brandon Allen's wily. He's up and coming, former LFA champ. He got good cardio, got a great submission game. He is a black belt. Uh, wrestling leaves something to be desired. Striking, he's a Rufus Sport guy, but again, his striking definitely leaves Rufus something. Sport. Definitely leaves something to be desired. But ultimately, the reason it's a hard pass is that Breeze, Breeze is the better fighter. I yeah. mean, from what we remember and what we have seen, he's as good of he's a got grappler. The clean boxing and yeah. like it's the boxing's the difference because he's as good of a grappler as Brandon Allen is. He's as good of a wrestler. If not, I give actually the slight wrestling advantage to him, and I don't see Allen peeling him to the ground, pulling him to the ground, or taking him down. So now we've got a striking battle, and it's like him at his best. He's just going to stay at range and just beat him with the one two, right? But we've also seen Sean Strickland just outwork him because Breeze doesn't throw fuck all. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Th- he just stands there, right? There's way too many red flags on uh, on Tom Breeze. I do admit that I think he's got to slightly refine his skill set, but I don't know what it looks like. Also, he could come out here and be like, you know what? Pff, I start taking this pill for my anxiety. I start seeing the sports psychologist. It's been two years since I find the difference between 26 and 28. He could come back as a fucking monster. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to see what happens here. So Before you lay anything big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not enough of a dog money um, on Brendan Allen for me to just say, you know what, fuck it. I'll test where this kid's at. I don't know where he's at. There's enough red flags for me to say I'll take the dog play. But plus 115 is just not enough. So I think that it's a, it's a passable situation. But the official pick will be Tom Breeze by decision. Sergey Spivak takes on Marcin Tybura. Spivak minus 115. Tybura minus 105. Basically a straight pick. Um, Tybura has been knocked out three of his last four fights. And Spivak last time out, uh, sorry, he was not knocked out by Walt Harris. And then, and then he subbed Tai Ivasa, who could not stop a takedown. All um, six of them. In round two. So, I mean, on, on paper... And, like, from, you know, watching these guys kind of come up, watching their earlier fights and watching what they've done. Like, Marcin Tybura, the guy's got, like, you know, like, that, that head kick against Victor Pesta. Oh, just once like, upon a time. Man, like, I don't think Spivak's got that type of technique, form, and ability in his, in his arsenal. But I do worry about heavyweights. He knocked out three of the last four times. Uh, the the road to being a title challenger is probably over for Marcin Tybura. I do worry about his durability, but I'm going to pick the fighter with the, the better skill set here in Marcin Tybura. I don't think I'm going to bet it unless you tell me otherwise. No, yeah, I, I would think a pass would be a smart play, but I'm actually going to go with Sergey Spivak on it, which is... So unappealing, I know, I know. But yeah, Marcin Tabor just doesn't seem like he wants to be there. I mean, he should be headlining KSW shows against Marius Puchanowski, not fighting UFC contenders. Only, he's not fighting UFC contenders. He's fighting run-of-the-mill guys like Augusto Sakai and uh, Shamil Abdurakimov, and these guys are knocking him out. By the way, this guy used to be super durable once upon a time. He could take a punch, but now he's 34 years old, which is still young enough at heavyweight. He still moves well for heavyweight, but he's not a particularly big, strong guy. That strike, like, yeah, that head kick folds Pesta. But outside of that, his, his power is seriously lacking in his punches, and he's got durability issues. He does look pretty good in the first round. It's beyond that. That's when the wheels start to fall off on him. Now, the thing with Sakai is that he's 265 pounds. Like, he's a bomber. He throws big shots. He hits him. He hurts him. Knocks him out in a minute. But, okay, that one I'll give it to you. Shamil Abdurakimov. Uh, he's not a big power puncher, to be honest with you. But you know what? He's a big guy. He chucks bombs. I guess I could give it to you. The Derek Lewis fight, Derek Lewis is a massive power puncher and chucks bombs. Like, okay, you're getting caught by a lesser 
lesser degree of guys. That Spivak's not a power puncher. He shows five KO records on his record, but he's more of a submission guy. Yeah, they're against bums. Yeah, but now we're coming into territory where he's simply a heavyweight. And at this point, like maybe he throws something and hits hits Tybor and Tybor doesn't like it. If the fight does hit the ground, Tybor is actually a BJJ black belt. He should be able to hold his own against Spivak. But Spivak showed us something against uh, Tai Tuivasa that like he wasn't tiring. He was just going for it, going for it, going for it. Why do you think he submitted or he 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 shoots six takedowns, complete six takedowns I should say. Tai Tuivasa can't sum- can't he, he stop comes a takedown. from the the wrestling pedigree of Emil Mech. Yeah, like, and and he would just He's on that level. He would just power his way right back up to his feet and Spivak would just take him back down. And he'd power his way back up to his feet and Spivak would just take back down every time he tried to throw a kick Spivak timed it caught the kick went with it again he, he's also Moldovan this is the first time UFC history by the way two Moldovans are on the same car between him and Ian Kutalaba but like he's only 25 and he's he usually is tall and rangy for the weight class it's only six foot three but Tybur is also six foot three so that's kind of going to be negated I just feel like this kid should be able to push more of a pace just do a little bit more like Tybur at his best and he hasn't been at his best in a long time but Tybura, at his best, doesn't really throw much to begin with. Like, he's not much of an output guy. And the last time we seen him pick up a victory was over Stefan Struve. He took him down five times, right? If he goes in the game plan of taking down Spivak and holding him down for 15 minutes, yeah, maybe he does enough for two rounds to pick up a decision. But I would have to say you're going to want to hit a hard pass on this one altogether. Like, I, I, I've been impressed with Tybura. Spent the, la- spent the last weeks, uh, eight weeks in Las Vegas at the Performance Institute. He looks like he's in good shape. Looks like he's training with some guys. But again, I mean, I, I couldn't give you a clear indication of where I think his chin's still there and his durability's still there. And Spivak at least shown that he's making improvements. And the very last thing, very interesting to me, is that Spivak debuts against Walt Harris at like 255 pounds, and he gets knocked out in 50 seconds. He comes back against Tai Tuivasa at like 233 pounds. Lost 20 pounds which is just unusual for a heavyweight, especially why would you want to come down at the lower end at 230? But it worked really well for him. His cardio was able to, to carry through. His speed didn't look all that bad. And he took a pretty good punch. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe this guy is improving. Maybe he, they got on some, on some illegal Moldovan supplements. I don't know. I mean, But I would really, say a hard pass. If not, I, I guess my, the official pick would be Spivak. At the end of the day, we're scraping the bottom of this the barrel. This is the bottom of the barrel of the, the, of the, of the heavyweight division is, is what's going on. We got Jordan Griffin taking on TJ Downtown Brown. Jordan Griffin, minus 135. TJ Brown, plus 115. You got takes? I got takes all right. No, TJ Brown has got some skills. No doubt he's got some skills. However, TJ Brown on his best day could be top... 40 top 35 fighter in the weight class unfortunately tj brown on his worst day is the worst guy in the weight class like he i don't think he has a chin paw i don't think he can take a punch and i think that when the heat gets in put on him he's gonna crumple up and that's a very bad spot to be in here against jordan griffin who whose back is a hundred percent up against the wall he's 0-2 in the ufc he's got definitely has something to prove but i mean they're giving him a different spot so just to break down tj brown really quick T.J. Brown lost his pro debut to this Shelby Graham, right? Shelby Graham currently has a record of five wins and 11 losses. Shelby Graham knocked him out. Later, he lost to Bobby Taylor. Are you keeping with me on this? Uh, yeah, I was just looking at DraftKings pricing got, uh, got released while we were on the show. Okay, so T.J. Brown loses his pro debut. He gets knocked out by Shelby Graham, who's five and ele- it was 4-11. and 11. Okay, no big deal. He lost his fourth pro fight to Bobby Taylor, who knocked him out. Bobby Taylor currently has a record of 5-11. and 11. So at this point, both of his pro losses are the guys that have abysmal records. 4-11 and 5-11 and as pros. Both of them not- caught him. They hit him. He went down. 
Okay, fair enough. He loses to Joey Miola, loses to Bobby Moffitt. Bobby Moffitt's only ever knocked out one guy, so that one's fair enough. Joey Miola submits him. It's beyond that. This Cody Carrillo's 13 wins, 16 losses. His current record right now is 15 wins, 18 losses. He also knocks him out when he catches him at 228 the first round. So he's got three losses to Paul, to guys that have subpar 500 records. Just journeyman guys that were able to catch him. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, maybe he was able to get over it. But then you see him on the, on the Contender Series. He takes on Dylan Lockhart. Dylan Lockhart floors him in the first round. But he perseveres through. Eventually, he's able to get on top of Dylan Lockhart. And in the third round, he submits him with an arm triangle choke, which was a relatively close fight. It's like his chin just doesn't hold up for him. Man. He's been knocked out three times. Three of those guys, again, just absolute journeyman bums. And these guys are catching him. That When you watch the tape on him, you know what? He doesn't move that bad. And he seems very strong. He seems like a physical guy. Got some okay speed. His wrestling's not that bad. His striking's not that bad. But again, without the ability to take a punch and get hit, I can't have any type of backing behind you there. And when you look at Jordan Griffin, Jordan Griffin's got a lot to like in this spot because, A, he's a guy that prior to coming to the UFC had a great finishing resume like i mean he can put it on you he can knock you out he can submit you but beyond that he's shown some good power shown some good size for the division comes to the ufc and his two fights in the ufc have been dan Ige and chaz skelly well they haven't really been able to show the best version of him the dan Ige fight he loses the first round because he's getting taken down the second round he stands up dan Ige. he puts it on him he beats up dan Ige. in the third round it's a close round could go either way i, I did score for Ige, but it's a very close fight a good account of himself was given against a top prospect like dan Ige, who's gone on to bigger and better things but he loses that fight the next fight against jazz kelly it's the same thing man it's a close fight he probably wins the second round his striking superior his cardio checks out he's pushing he's pushing he's pushing but unfortunately, the slight grappling disadvantage loses him the fight against Chas Skelly. So there's two guys in Skelly and Dan Inge who are just superior grapplers that got the yep. win over him. Like, I, I understand it. TJ Brown's not on that level. Yes, no, he's, he's not, got a winnable fight. So now there's going to be a lot more of him being able to stuff the takedown and keep it in the open field. And when you see him in the open field, you're going to see him landing strikes. And when you see him landing strikes over TJ Brown, who seemingly can't take them, that's when you're going to see the big difference. So I've got I've got uh, Jordan Griffin, and he's going to be a great price price on DraftKings. I'm sure you got it now, but he is. <clears throat> because he's only minus one thirty five, and he's got eighty five hundred on DraftKings, and he's got high upside as far as I'm concerned. So I could see that being uh, on an optimal lineup potentially. Alan Cruz takes on Spike Carlisle. Alan Cruz minus one seventy five. Carlisle plus one fifty five. Alan Cruz had a pretty nice flying knee knockout it was a really competitive fight and i thought that him and his opponent both kind of looked decent enough uh his opponent looked pretty good up until the point he caught that flying knee so um yeah carlisle i don't know much about um what's your take on this fight well it's the hardest pass of all times um, i mean the whole card feels like it's a pass yeah 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 but in this case it's it's similar to the tj brown where i said tj brown was getting knocked it's happened three times Getting knocked out by guys 4 and 11, 5 and 11, and 13 and 17. Those are the records. They're catching this guy. Mm-hmm. So you can't have faith in him because at any point he can get caught and he can lose. Both of these guys, Elon Cruz and Spike Carlisle, have the exact same thing, okay? If you look at if you look at uh Elon Cruz's record, he's got two losses, right? That one loss against Kareem Neville. Kareem Neville was seven and eight at the time. So you lost to a guy with a losing record, and you now made the UFC. You know what? I've seen it happen. It used to be unlikely, but I, I have seen it happen. So now you look at Spike Carlisle. Spike Carlisle's only pro loss, Paul, which happened against this Sarab Manasian. Sarab Manasian was 8 
and 11. Nice. And he beat Spike Carlisle by decision. Now you might be saying, it was a long time ago. It was only two years ago. That's not that long. So I'm just saying is that we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. However, I will give you a dog play here. I'm going to take Spike Carlisle. Watching the tape on him, dude, he just, he's a BJJ brown belt. He's a judo black belt, but he just clenches up with you. He's, his body shape, very weird. He's so top heavy. Like his upper body is just massively thick and muscular. And I honestly think he's, all he's going to do is just grab a hold of Elon Cruz and just hold him up against the cage and try to peel him to the ground. Elon Cruz will pop back up. He'll try to peel him back down. It could be a very dull fight, but Elon Cruz's thing is that he's six feet tall, 145 pounds. He's very long, very easy to control up against the fence. The contender series fight, you're right. It was a nice little flying knee KO in that. What a sick fucking finish. Mm-hmm. Like buddy was he might have been on his way of losing a decision like that fight i'd love to see the scorecards it was close and it was purely striking there was no grappling for the most part that entire fight whereas uh spike carlisle's not going to give him that opportunity like he's not looking to stand on the outside he's looking to just get in there and do what he can but he's on like i don't know the the whole fight got put together on short notice I, i i don't know like you'd be very very smart to just walk away the plus 155 ain't so bad, and I haven't given you very many dog plays on this card considering uh, Kyler Phillips' yeah, plus yeah. 105 yeah. is not good enough. That's really all I've given you. So, plus I mean, it's a, shit, it's a shit card. It's a shit card. It's a hard... Uh, there's a lot, of, a, lot of question, a lot of question marks around a lot of the people on this card, and funny enough, like one of the best fights on the entire card seems to be buried on the deep, 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 deep. Prelims. This could be the co-main event, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Ishmael Nardiev takes on Sean Brady. Uh, this is like the only fight on the card that I actually have action on. Like two weeks ago, I, Sean Brady was plus one sixty-two. I'm like, this is pretty much a pick'em fight. I hadn't even done any research. I was just like, that number's just wrong. So plus one sixty-two. I have a unit on that, um, and it's come down to minus one thirty. Nardiev plus one one ten. So. It got closer to the pick'em. I was thinking one sixty-two. I just I, I sent you that message as well. I'm like this. I bet him. This yeah, line's yeah, yeah. stupid, right? Like the, now the price has normalized. I think it's you know you have Ishmael Nardiev who has the uh, they call him what the Australian Superboy Wonderboy Wonderboy and it's yeah, a karate background. Very no, very... not really. I, I think they call him that for other reasons personally. But like he's got he's got a full arsenal. Where Sean Brady's oh, yeah. more just like a boxer. Yeah. Um, good cardio like both of these guys are decent prospect brady is 27 ishmael nardiev is 23 or 24 at this point nardiev came onto the scene with the win over uh, michelle prezeris where he just utilized speed he was able to not be there where prezeris is they call him a tractor for a reason just trying to barrel you over right and uh, wasn't able to do it. And then he takes on Ren Counter next time out, and he gets absolutely controlled throughout the course of that fight. And that time, he flipped from being a big underdog, big favorite, <laughs> takes on Seer the next time out. But this guy's young. Yeah, yeah. So he's developing. I do like his skill set. I, yeah, I bet Brady's purely based on it being a number. Um, but yeah, I kind of see this one as a pick here. It's whether... Brady's kind of in close fights, even against uh, Court McGee. It was it was pretty competitive. To yeah, it shouldn't have been that competitive, but it no. was. It was very competitive. Do you have a hot, like a hot take on one of the sides here, or? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I feel like I, I never bet 
in advance the yeah. week as far as it opens. It a but yeah, weeks out. right. Brady dropped and was just like, "This is a fifty fight, fifty fifty fight." Uh, ah, yeah, he's a super talented guy. I mean, yeah, he's got the boxing, but he's also a BJJ black belt. Um, yeah, the one thing is that he's out of like Henzo Gracie, Philadelphia, and I'd love to see him branch out and train with some better training partners. Like it seems like he's the king of his domain, and I don't know that now that he's fighting in the UFC, that's going to really help. But when you watch his regional show career. It's like this guy does make significant improvements every time out. Coming to the UFC, taking on Court McGee, I was interested in what we were going to see out of him, but it was also a very unique matchup in that Court McGee fights unlike half of the guys out there, man. Like, he's he's big, he's burly, he's durable, he's got good cardio. I mean, he's got size and strength of the advantage. He's got a lot of experience. So it's a weird fight to have as a debuting fighter. In the first round, lesser men would have toppled over. Like, mm-hmm. he, that left hook he drops him with. Man, he like, landed 100 and... I'm looking at the draft teams right man, now. 119 significant strikes, two takedowns, one knockdown. Like Yeah, but the lights like got to him by the third round. For sure. And, 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 and I think he was kind of like, how is this guy not dead? Yeah, but his but training like partners... Cor- it's just like... Here's the trick. Court McGee has already died. And it, the guy's living on multiple different lives. He's a cat. He is a cat. But the fight for Sean Brady prior to signing with the UFC, he scores a fourth-round TKO. And in that fight, he does not seemingly get tired. He's a guy that won the CFFC uh, welterweight championship. Or, sorry, won the title. Defended the title twice. He's got experience with the organization. He's got experience in championship-level fighters. Like, fights. He was... You know, not a world champion, but he was a, a regional show champion before coming to the UFC. But if you talk to any of the guys from his camp, they just keep, they can't stress enough about how good his cardio is. Now he just, he doesn't relent and he just keeps going. So, so to see him against Corey McGee, after 10 minutes, he was spent, man. Mm-hmm. He was very spent. He ends up getting a unanimous decision in that spot. And again, I had him bet pretty heavily. I'm glad he got the win. But a different judge might have scored a two rounds for Court McGee. Like it was a close competitive fight. Yeah. The reason I'm going to back him here is I do think that, again, only 27 years old, getting that UFC debut out of the way, getting that bright lights out of the way, I do expect to see his cardio to have improved for that. The pace that he was putting on, Corey McGee just keeps going and going and going. Whereas Ishmael Nordios had kind of durability issues, not durability issues, uh, cardio issues and gas issues, cardio issues Mm -hmm. himself, right? So I think Brady is less likely to be having a a pace pushed on him in the third and start fatiguing himself. Whereas I hopefully that he's going to be in that situation to put it on Ishmael Nordiev. Nordiev is way faster than a man, way faster and a way better striker. His body kick is absolutely nasty. He's got good power in his hands. The guy just goes for it. But he was a very potent finisher prior to signing with the UFC. Since being in the organization, his three fights in the UFC have all gone to decision. So taking off that quick finish off the table, he's just got to fight hard for 15 minutes. And even though he's two and one in the UFC, I, I'm, I'm seeing there's a lot to be desired there. Like the Michelle Perzeas fight, yeah, huge upset. Kai's on short notice, and he beats Perzeas. Perzeas beat himself because Perzeas got all the takedowns he wanted. Thing is, is that as he's on top of this kid, this kid just bridges out three fucking times. He just literally from his back rolls over and bridges and gets back up. Mm-hmm. He's a five-time Danish wrestling champion. So it, when they say he's the Austrian wonder boy, I'm thinking it's he's Austrian and he's the wonder boy. Like he started fighting at 16 years old, right? And he he's a five-time Danish wrestling champion. He's a three-time Danish kickboxing champion. He can kind of do it all. I think that's where the Austrian wonder boy thing comes from. But again, now he lives in South Florida, trains with the former Black Zillion crew, Henry Hoof, and all those guys. He's great shape. Again, a young, up-and-coming fighter. This is two prospects coming off wins that got a lot to offer the division, and it's buried on the very first fight. It's below Spike fucking Carlisle versus Elon Cruz. Something it's ain't just, right. 
It's just so ridiculous. So anyways, yeah, this is a flat dogger pass for me. I'm going to take Sean Brady in again. He's going to round out the dog plays for the day. We, I guess you have DK pricing now, but kind of got to get through this. So what you want to just, I'll just give my final picks or what? Yeah. Um, I mean, the DraftKings pricing is exactly how you would expect. And we kind of went over it throughout. It's like Felicia Spencer is 9,400. She is exactly what we thought. The second most expensive person, Grant Dawson. So like, and you can actually make a decent lineup with the two of them in there. Those are the two people with probably the most safety on the card. I mean, that's probably how most people are going to construct their cash lineups and stuff this week. Start with those two. And there's, it's greasy kind of the rest of the way that you go through this card. Like there are, there are underdogs to to pick. Like I said, it's not very yeah, hard. Yeah. I just went through and kind of made a lineup here, and I don't hate it already. So that's um, that's better. I'm sure in tournaments there's plenty of other ways that people can go to, but obviously you have to make a move here. So, yeah, it might as well just hit us with the picks. Okay, and I'll just give you a quick – I don't know what the pricing is. But, yeah, anyways, Joseph Benavidez versus Davison Figueroa. I, I don't know. 88 versus... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you, yeah, have, a, you, have, a, you have a device in no, front I know, if you want I to know. look at the DraftKings pricing. Yeah, essentially, well, essentially the picks quickly are going to be Benavidez, uh, Felicia Spencer, Magomed Ankalaev, Megan Anderson, Grant Dawson, Luis Pena, Kyler Phillips, that's dog number one, Tom Breeze, and we'll take him, Sergey Spivak, uh, Jordan Griffin, Spike Carlisle's dog number two, Sean Brady's dog number three. So we'll have three dogs on this card. Two of them, you know, you're not getting big price. And the Spike Carlisle one, like, that's degen shit. So just, you know, <laughs> keep, keep in mind, you're paying Spike Carlisle at any price. And then quickly on the DraftKings standpoint, right, if we all believe that Joseph Benavides needs to use the wrestling and that Figueredo is going to be able, he's big enough, strong enough, do the same thing that he did against um, Jared Brooks is that even when you do get taken down, just get back up. Benavides stands to score a lot. So I could actually see him being a, a decent DK. Five player. rounds. Yeah. Here. Felicia Spencer, we know that we're looking for a quick finish there. There's no value on, on Zara Farron. Um, the, the value, by the way, on Davidson Figueredo is just the knockout. If he does win a five-round decision, there's not going to be enough to suggest. Again, I don't know his pricing, but it is what it is. He's, well, it's 88 I yeah. mean, he's, he's what you think. Yeah, Ankalaya versus Kudalaba. I mean, yeah, you probably want some exposure to one of these guys. Kudalaba does get the victory. One would have to assume the way this guy has fought throughout his career. He is a, a traditionally a high scorer, and maybe he scores big for you. And he's you're getting him at a very good price. Whereas Ankalaev, Ankalaev is okay with just getting the takedown and holding you down, not necessarily improving his position, not necessarily scoring huge, huge. But Kudalaba might force his hand and cause him to do something out of the ordinary or cause him to get a finish because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he just burns himself out. Yep. Megan Anderson versus Norma Dumont, you don't know what you're getting there. But yeah, one would have to assume if it's a striker versus striker battle and it goes to decision, you don't want no part of it. But if you were somehow that faithful that Anderson was going to knock her out, then you could get a worse price tag on her. Grant Dawson's very Derek Minner. I think Grant Dawson's probably a must-own, and his price tag definitely suggests that he's going to be... Uh, you know, one of the pricey guys and probably have high ownership. 9,300, yep. Yeah, Luis Pena versus Steve Garcia Jr. I, I think Luis Pena puts it on him. Steve Garcia Jr. It could be durable enough. Like, Pena hasn't shown me enough of a finishing game that he's going to be expensive, and I think I might just try to hit a pass on that one. I think he's going to win the fight, but I think that Steve Garcia might just slow it down a little bit and that uh, Pena, nearly a 3-1 to one favorite, going to be too expensive on DraftKings to get that money back. He's the third most expensive at 9200 Kyler Phillips, I, this one's going to be very, very, very low-owned, I think. It just kind of like slides under the radar. Gabriel Silva went the decision with Ray Borg and didn't really offer absolutely anything. He landed like six significant strikes. It was abysmal. And Kyler Phillips, just like you said, he lost to Brad Katona, who has since shown that he can't grapple at the UFC level 
level and has been cut from the UFC. So that one's a total mixed bag. Both guys don't figure to really score much, so it's going to be passed. But they're right at that 8,000 price range where it's like if you need someone to fill in a lineup, one of these guys could potentially come out big. They will be low ownership. Tom Breeze versus Brandon Allen. Pff, what can you expect out of Tom Breeze? And again, even if he shows up, even if he is Tom Breeze of old, it's not going to score a whole lot. He wasn't Brandon really Allen, historically a good dra- DraftKings scorer as it was. If Brandon Allen had slightly better wrestling, that would be a very intriguing pr- uh, play. And honestly, on a card like this, if you need a guy, especially on a cash game lineup, like I think you could do worse than Brandon Allen. He's not he's not the worst one out there. To whoever versus Spivak, you'd want to think it's just one of those heavyweight clashes where one of them's going to topple over, but it could go the complete other way and just be a stinker of a fight. Spivak Spivak was fighting Tony Kryptonite Lopez and Travis Fulton before coming to the UFC. He never fought nobody. And the one win over Tui Vasas got him as an even-money favorite, slight favorite over Marcin Tabor. Just crazy. I'm going to hit a pass on that one for sure. You know, I shouldn't be saying all this stuff on our show because I still got to compete in that MMA... um, MMA World Cup, but like, yeah, I think I think Jordan Griffin is. It could go with the, if he loses, terrible. But one, he's lost both of his fights in the UFC, both of them in decision against better fighters, better grapplers, and he scored points. You're you're stressing the MMA World Cup already. Wanna, We're I, only in the first pod session, Cody. I know, I know, I know. But Look I don't want guy. people just going contrarian on me and just being like fuck them, and then all of a sudden TJ Brown goes out there and lands something. Like, you know. No. Anyways, I got Jordan Griffin. I think that's actually a really good price tag. I got Spike Carlisle plus 155. I think uh, as far as DraftKings goes, like, dude, honestly, he could score a lot of takedowns if Elon Cruz just keeps getting back up. Watch his LFA career a little bit. He's just wild, man. He's redheaded guy out of the Midwest or out of California, and physically he's strong, and he just comes forward the whole time. and tries. That, that's one of those greasy fights under the radar that there could be a lot of takedowns and ground transitions yep. and a, vic- a decision victory even for Spike Carlisle. Could be very tasty. He's a well-priced individual. Mm-hmm. And the Nordia versus Sean Brady. As fun as this fight is, and I think both guys got a lot of upside, they're priced pretty good in terms of DraftKings as well. Uh, I, I, Brady's 7,600 on DraftKings. Yeah, he's, he's, great. he's a great I mean, price tag. My he thing had is, his UFC debut. He landed 119 significant strikes and scored 109 against Court McGee. Yeah, but like he that's, was, At 7,600... Mm. He can he can totally get there. No, no. You can't get to 76 points. Well, yeah, of course he can get to 76 points. But remember when I said I don't usually bet a while in advance? I bet him, and I like the price tag. But after tape studying it, like, I don't love oh, him. I think it's a pick em, but right, like when, right. you get a pit, when you get a plus 162 on a pick em, then you take that. For, for sure, for sure. Works. But he landed, he landed that many significant strikes against Court McGee, who was just not really a striker for the most part. Very slow, very plotting, puts it on him. He's not going to be able to na- land near that against Nordiev. Probably against not. No, McGee, probably not. Against Cormagee, he can't take him down. He tries. He cannot take him down. I mean, he took him down twice, according to fight the guy on Fight Metric who probably owned uh, yeah, Brady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. And Cormagee, for the most part, I mean, he's just able to get back up. But with Ishmael Nordiev, again, being that five-time wrestling champion, like he knows how to wrestle. He's got decent hips. You watch when he does get taken down in the UFC. It's like... When he gets taken down fully, he accepts it. It's getting him down is a problem. Mm-hmm. Chance Rencounter just catches the kicks. Yeah. But without that, he's going to have a problem. And Rencounter also, because he's so long, is able to just take the back over and over again. When he takes the back, there's nothing that can be done here for Nordiev. I don't know. I don't know. And the, the official play is Sean Brady, but as far as the DraftKings side of it goes, I don't think Sean Brady is going to be th- that decent of a score. $7,600 for a cash game play, yes. For a... Uh, if you're going for it on like a big GPP, I don't think that he's going to be on the optimal lineup. But again, who knows? I could be wrong, and 
he could go out there and score a first-round knockout or a submission or who the fuck knows, right? It's MMA. There's oh, many, many avenues and paths to victory, Paul. I'm going to fucking play Sean Brady now that you just squashed his ownership. Sean, don't call me Greg give, Brady. Give me the Brady. I'll, I'll, I'll take that leap on Sean Brady here then if, uh, if he has no chance of getting to 76 points. No chance to getting to I like. I like that you just killed his ownership. Hopefully it does. No, oh, why would nobody I owns them? And then I get all of the points, and then I get to and he gets sparked in the first round. And, and then I'll, I'll see you and I'll see you in the next pod, pal. Not if not if Sean Brady gets sparked in the first round, you won't. No, that's true. All right, Cody Saftik, ladies and gentlemen, you can follow him on Twitter at CJ Saftik. You can also follow producer as Zach Penser. He is at Z A C K Zach with a K. FTBT, which is from the Back Tees, which is his podcast. Thank you to him for switching the show and doing all the sweet stuff behind the scenes. For Cody and Zach, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Experience! Experience!